Blog Talk Radio. Angeles, California. Welcome to the Paranormal and the Sacred Radio Show with your host, Shaw McCain. Hi, everybody. I'm your host, Shaw McCain. I'd like to welcome listeners to the Paranormal and the Sacred Radio Show. My show is created to provide an open-minded platform that welcomes the gifted and extraordinary thinkers from every walk of life and circumstance. Please follow the Paranormal and the Sacred on Facebook for upcoming events and special speakers from around the world. We are happy and proud to say we're translating to many different languages for our listeners outside the country. The call-in number tonight for questions with our wonderful guest is 619-924-9744, and that's also the same number you can call in and just listen on your phone, and you don't have to ask a question. That number again is 619-924-9744, and the Paranormal and the Sacred Air is every Friday night, 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. During this show, I can take questions in order in chat, and you may call in with your questions to speak with our special guests. Any buzzkillers, I want to warn you, in chat or on the phone will be kicked out, beat up, and I have a copy of your phone number, and I'll call you back and mess with you. So don't mess with me, and I won't mess with you. So play nice and be exceptionally polite and grown up. I really appreciate it. Okay, we have a few uh, announcements to make <clears throat> Experience of Speak uh, has been changed to an August date, the 28th to 29th in Maine. So there's a lot of special speakers over there. And uh, um, Peter Robbins, my special friend, and Chris Bledsoe, and everybody's going to be out there, and a lot of the ladies and of uh, the Starseed people and everything else. Anyway, so there will be more information closer to the date. And Sierra National's next event is a very interesting and they're going to be here at the Contact in the Desert, Joshua Tree, uh, the 29th to 31st of May. And that's coming right up like next month. And the Planet's Premier UFO Convention, everybody's going to be there, including probably a few aliens. I really have to say that to you. Because it's just weird out in the desert. There's a weird big rock and all kinds of sightings. It's just strange out there. Anyway, it says join us for a weekend of exploration into extraterrestrial life, ancient aliens, Human origins, UFO sightings, anti-gravity, hey, I want to see that again, anti-gravity machines and contact experiences and the need to know featuring George Nori and then the other George with big hair, Eric Von Danigan, Lord have mercy, Steve Bassett and uh, John Mars, Nick Pope, Stanton Freeman, um, a, a lot of just awesome people. There's a whole huge lineup, and I wish it was written bigger. Anyway, so what you have to do is to get there. Let's see. Let me find the the address and the phone number. It will be the conference tickets and more info. Contact in the desert. dot com seven six zero three six five eight three seven one is the phone number. You can find out all this wonderful stuff that's going on. Oh yeah. 
Well, yeah, Eisenhower's going to be there. Yay. Anyway, um, so all that stuff's coming up, and I really think it's a wonderful time to get together. Everybody just says they go there and they kick back and they have so much fun. And I have another uh, friend that's actually, he's putting on online uh, things, and they're also having a meetup. And I want you to go find his information at www.archetypicalnature.com, A-R-C-H-E-T-Y-P-A-L-N-A-T-U-R-E.com. If you're a Jungian and uh, love all the symbology of all that, you're going to love Gary Bob Ross workshops. So get a hold of that, go over that scene, and check it out. And then I have to tell you something awesome that happened. I went to the mailbox and opened it up, and there inside was a, the most beautiful, beautiful rosary and chapulet by Marsha Lee Becker. Her husband, if you remember, is uh, the writer of the book, The Tenants, and um, he has like four other really extremely scary books. Edwin F. Becker is an author. You find him on Amazon.com, but I want to tell you about her chaplets and her rosaries. They're made of Swarovski crystals, and they're beautiful, and she sent them to me uh, for my sister who has uh, survived breast cancer, and uh, I just want to say thank you so much to Marsha Lee, who's just a wonderful lady. You can find her rosaries at www.rosariesbymarsha.com, and she sells a bunch of them as Marsha Lee on, um, I can't remember that name, so go to the website first, but she's on eBay, and she has a bunch of them. She also makes custom-made uh, necklaces that are really beautiful. Anyway, so come, next week coming up is our own homegrown Jacqueline Thomas of Hollywood, California. And she's part of Cyril, as I am. And she's going to talk to us about her experiences. And she has quite an extremely uh, interesting case of personal experiences. And she's a world traveler. And uh, we're going to talk to her next week. Anyway, I can see that our awesome guest is online. And so I'm going to get her on here. I'd like to welcome Tina Marie. Hi, Tina. Welcome to the show. Hey, what's going on? Oh, not much. Just, you know, talking live with all these people. I'm listening. (laughs) I got all tweaked up tonight and nervous, but I want to welcome to the show, and uh, I just really want to thank you. You had me on your show uh, a a couple weeks, a few weeks ago, and uh, it was really awesome. You have um, also... Uh, are developing your own thing. So I'm going to read you a little bit of your biography, if you don't mind. And Tina is a native of Massachusetts, but moved to Las Vegas in 2008 with a three-lovable golden retriever. That that move was a significant turning point in her life for a number of reasons, but her biggest, her recent UFO as well as abduction experiences that occurred while living the outskirts of Sin City. See, I didn't know that's where it all started. But these occurrences have completely transformed the way she lives her life today. Directed her, it also directed her to writing her first fiction book, Alien Deceptions, in 2011. A novel, as she describes it, as fiction-based on fact. And it's also led her on a path of discovering truth, or at least her version of it, behind these mis- this mysterious phenomena. And she's also a radio show host with, uh, let's see, let me get it, KDWN 720 in Las Vegas. And it does, you do go on tonight, don't you? You know what? Normally, I would go on tonight, but we actually are in. Um, it's one of those things with terrestrial radio, like internet radio. That's kind of why I'm trying to do my own thing. It's great. When you get terrestrial radio, you're subject to contracts, um, 
all kinds of different things that go on behind the scenes that people have to deal with that a lot of people don't know about. And right now we're in the midst of a, a contract negotiation, let's say. Okay. <laughs> it's one of those things but, where, um, you know, terrestrial radio tends to make quite a bit of money off advertising. Um, and a lot of times the hosts don't reap the benefits of that. And when you have a, a, a hit show that's worldwide and, and you've got and you know the numbers and you know how many people are tuning in, um, you have a little bit of a pull. So when you try to kind of flex that a little bit, um, and there was speculation, believe it or not, at the station. Um, you know, Art Bell never came out and revealed what station, but there was rumors going around my station that. Art Bell was looking at the negotiations was with Kadon. That's why they had halted negotiations with me. <laughs> um, but now we know that Art Bell is going to be doing his own yeah, internet no. thing. He's not going to be on Terrestrial. But people forget that Art Bell got his start on Dreamland on KDWN. That's the same right. station I'm on. So there was a history there. So over the last month or so, things were kind of in the end. Things were getting stalled. It was, it's just been a crazy thing. But now that Art's backed out, it's funny. Now they're sitting at the table and talking to me. So I don't know if it was Kate on or not, but it's just funny that you know Art's no longer going to be on a terrestrial radio, and my station is now talking to me. <laughs> so. Oh, well, it should be just a coincidence. It's one of those wild coincidences that, you know, really is not a coincidence. Anyway. Right. Yeah. Well, you know, that's, I've been in the process of doing my own, you know, my own show uh, station, KCUR Radio, which you know, it's been broadcasting now for a couple of months. But we're in the middle. That's why I feel bad. I'm on the I'm on the phone instead of on my studio mic. But our my studio here at home, we're completely transforming it. Um, everything, brand new mixers, microphones, the whole thing, so we can actually do live shows from you know, from my home directly, which is going to be extremely nice uh, because there are a few other stations that have talked to me about syndication and this will free me up to do a little bit more with syndication if I, if I choose to do so. Plus, it's going to give me the opportunity to be on earlier and multiple days during the week because, as you know, the problem I was having with my show is, you know, I'm get, I get 40, 50 books of peop, you know, from people who want to be on my show and when you're only doing a once-a-week show, and it's only two hours, and it's midnight till two. Well, that's yeah. late for some people to be up. I mean, I, fortunately, I've had some great guests who get up on the East Coast at three o'clock in the morning, um, but it, it's tough for them to get up. But then, when you look at uh, just one once a week and the number of guests that wanted to be on the show, you know, you don't want to get somebody who's got a new book on and say, "I can't get you on for two months." You know. So hopefully, we'll be able yeah. to work things out, and it'll be a little bit di- it'll it'll be a little bit different. So give me the the where they can find your show is it www.kcorradio.com? Yeah, they can they can go to kcor that's kcorradio.com or you can go right to right to my website restrictedairspaceradio.com and there's a link directly to KCOR Radio. All my archives um, for all my past shows are now listed on KCOR, and all those shows are absolutely free. There's um, there's no monthly fee for getting access to the podcast. Oh, that's incredible. I was wondering about that. So you really answered my question. And uh, really, you know, great going and just uh, you sound like you've earned your chops and then you should be able to sit there and uh, get something good going, you know. And uh, I think you should. And as a woman, I think you should fight for it, lady. And (laughs) I heard something. And then I heard something else. Okay, are you, were you born in Boston? 
You know, I was actually born just on the outskirts of Boston. I was originally um, a Massachusetts native, lived most of my life there. My first experiences were there as a child. Um, I didn't really remember them a lot because I was always told I grew up in a very Catholic religious family, and it was, oh, it's just angels, imaginations, whatever. And, you know, I don't want to age myself, but, you know, we're talking a an area in a, a time where, you know, ufology was not what it is today. I mean, the time I grew up in, in, in the, you know, in the late 70s, early 80s, you were younger and you said, oh, I'm seeing seeing things. They're bringing you up to the third floor and locking you in the funny farm. You know, yeah, unlike and, today, uh, I think and, people yeah. are a little bit more open-minded and, and they are a little bit more understanding of the, the whole phenomenon that's going on. Yeah, and they seem to be quite interested, too. I mean, there's like a whole uh, bunch of bunch of groups now when there was really hardly anything when I first started out, you know, when I was yeah. trying to seek help, you know, and that was a long, like, that was like 22, 21, 22 years ago. And I actually were there to Harvard, and uh, Dr. Mack, John Mack, uh, is the one that answered me and turned me on to Yvonne Smith, who is, Believing that now is zero, so I've been going there ever since all these years. So I stuck with that one group, and now there's so many uh, groups, including I um, used to belong to. Uh, you were a MUFON investigator, right? Yeah, you know I did MUFON for a year um, out here in Las Vegas, and when I was doing it, they were kind of in their transitional stage. We didn't. We have a great MUFON um, rep for Nevada now. When I was doing it. We had a person who never handed out cases, and then, you know, I'll be honest with you, you get into MUFON, you pay for MUFON, um, your your monthly fee, 90% of the cases you're going to get, you're going, you know, especially in Vegas out here, um, people are seeing, you know, the strip helicopters, or they're seeing, you know, on Friday night, the uh, 15 lights that are coming in, you know, from every 30 seconds from people coming into the Strip, you know, coming in from a Karen Airport. You, we have, you know, Nellis Air Force Base, which is right nearby, North Las Vegas um, Airport, Executive Airport. Um, so you have all these small, a couple small airports. You've got tour helicopters. And, you know, unfortunately we have, and I don't want to mention his name and give him any more cred than he thinks he has, but we, we have a gentleman out here in Las <laughs> Vegas who um, was posting videos like he's getting UFOs all the time. And, you know, as a person who, because of my experiences, spent years tracking down anything I saw in the sky, any report, you know, I'm like, I tried to reach out to him and say, hey, listen, you know, just want to let you know this is what you're seeing. And I was personally attacked because of that. And I was like, seriously? <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> I'm just trying to tell you what you're seeing. And the, I think the re- thing that really turned me off when I was going to try to help him, the thing that really turned me off from this gentleman is when um, I was told, well, you know what, We're, I'm catching these UFOs every night. And I'm like, no, you're not. You're catching, you know, you know, basically commercial aircraft that are flying over the Strip. And he said, no, no, see, the problem is um, they're, they're cloaked to look like airplanes. So people over the Strip see airplanes, but because I'm 12 miles out, I'm out of their cloaking zone so I can see what they really look like. And I went, get off your meds. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Or get on your meds. <laughs> yeah, you know, and and the, I think that's the problem with ufology nowadays is, you know, everybody's got a camera, everybody's got a cell phone. So when somebody reports a video that's over a area like Las Vegas where, you know, we have a million people here on the weekend, like just right now this week, we had 100,000 people in town for NAME, which is the National Association of Broadcasters. So you have 100,000 people on the Strip 
I'm sorry, if you're catching something flying over the strip, <laughs> there's going to be mm-hmm. a bunch of cameras on that. And if there's not, right. then that just tells me, you know, there's not. And I think as an investigator, the problem you have, and I know, you know, I, I get sent off on all these really stupid cases, and then the cases stopped coming in because the director left, and they didn't appoint a new director. And then when they appointed the new director, she was overwhelmed, and then she moved to California, and we didn't have another director. So now we've got a really great director, Donna. She does an awesome job. Um, Every month she has a a meeting. I think, um, you know, Yvonne Smith actually came, I think, to one of the meetings a a couple months ago. They have um, George Nappas coming um, next week. You know, so they've had some really great speakers come to her event. So, you know, it's, that's nice. Sorry about that. Sorry. You, little doggy. <laughs> I, I don't have any dogs. No. <laughs> <laughs> you know what, I'm a, it's one of the things being on Kadon, I think the difference that I found from, um, being on terrestrial radio to to doing something that's like on Blog Talk is, you know, either mm-hmm. Blog Talk or Internet, was being on terrestrial radio, the way, you know, and, and I don't agree with this, but the way people treat individuals. So if you're on terrestrial radio, they consider you more of a professional. And I look at it this way. I've heard, I mean, your show, I've heard many great Internet Blog Talk shows, um, just regular, you know, regular shows that personally... I think they should be on terrestrial because I think they're better than my show. Um, but they don't get that opportunity. I'm just fortunate enough that because I work for Kadon um, and my boss knows my experiences and knows, I mean, they put trust in me. And the show started from like a one-hour show and then went to a two-hour show. Um, they, were, they weren't broadcasting internationally until they were getting so many phone calls internationally because they couldn't pick up the stream that they started opening up the international stream and now, you know, now the, the, the stream is global. And I told them, I'm like, you know, you guys have to understand that terrestrial radio is going to go the way of the dinosaurs because with the access of Internet, with, with the information highway that is out there, like you said, the number of people that are doing shows now, the material that's – I mean, I, I there's not enough hours in the day for me to listen to the number of hosts that I really like to listen to. <laughs> You know? Yeah, it's wonderful. I mean, you know, everybody people gets who are an your opportunity. Yeah, and then I, I you, think that's you, great. you you gravitate to who you're supposed to be with. I think, mm-hmm. you know, it's wonderful. I think you get that, and you know, I always like to hear if I've got a guest coming up, I'll you know, and, and they were on another show, I'll go listen. You know, okay, what did this person say? How do they direct the interview? And so maybe I can get information that maybe somebody didn't get out of them before. Um, and there are other people that I listen to that I just, you know, I just, I think they are great interviews. I love the way they, they run their shows. And, you know, I feel bad sometimes that, you know, they don't get the exposure that they probably should. Um, so when, when people say, oh, well, that's cool. You're on terrestrial radio. I'm like, yeah, it's, it's nice. And don't get me wrong. I love it. But you know what? Don't take away from there's so many great people on the internet that are doing shows that are, um, you know, First class all the way, and you know your show is one of them. And it's nice to hear so other people's take on 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 the ufology because I've said this before. I think you know when I was first getting into this, I, I had 
up until 2008, I had no interest in ufology, okay? <laughs> and this is hard for people to understand. There was no interest in sci-fi. There was no interest in the paranormal. I wasn't UFO hunting. I had experiences when I was a kid. And then they stopped right around about seven, eight years old. And I just took them as they were just... You know, I kept being told, "Well, you're just seeing an angel, or it's an you're just your overactive imagination. You're you're a kid." So I just kind of, you know, forget about it. And I don't remember anything consciously until I moved out here in Vegas, um, and then I had my major, you know, incident, which took place the first conscious thing I remember being taken, which was in 2009, and that was kind can of you, the. Can you um, tell us about it? Yeah, the you know the the first time um, I've been here, I was in Vegas for about six months. And for some reason, I just felt this incline to go outside. You know, it was January. So, you know, we don't get, like, cold, cold weather here in Vegas, but it was, you know, a little nippy. But for some reason, I just like, yeah, I'm going to go outside, hang in the backyard with the dogs for a little bit. And I went outside, and I just, something caught my eye up up in the sky. And I look up, and it it looked like this little pin light, it just, but it was moving. So I thought, oh, it's got to be a satellite. Well, then it stopped. <laughs> it just stopped. And I and I'm looking. And I'm like, did I just stop? And then it it got brighter, as if it was coming down. And it got brighter. It got so bright that I had to put my hand over my eyes because it was like looking into the sun. And wow! I it it was like probably a split second or two. It's like I I can't even explain. It was just a split second. I put my hand up there because it was so bright. And then I look up and it was gone. And I was like, well, that was weird. I, I went inside. I was kind of. What just happened? I was like kind of pacing around the house. I didn't know what to say. I didn't know what to think. I'm like, what, did I just see something? I mean, what the hell was that? You know? And um, I tried to go to sleep that night, and I couldn't. My mind was... The way I try to explain it to people is the book that I wrote, Alien Deceptions, is it was like somebody took a DVD, the movie put it in my head and said, okay, here's your book, write it. And I've never written anything in my life. I, I'm not a, I wasn't a writer. I had no inkling. I didn't sit down and go, I'm going to write a novel. I had no, wasn't even in the back, back of my mind. And I couldn't sleep. It just, this movie kept playing in my head, my head, and I kept, you know, hearing a very faint, almost like somebody was whispering. But the best way I've described it to people is it's like when you're trying to tune in like an AM station and you can't quite get it. You, you're turning it back and forth and you, you get like a word here, word there. Well, that's what I was getting. And it went on for, oh, I don't know, almost you know three or four days to the point where I, I was so exhausted. I thought I was going to actually commit myself. I thought I was going insane. I'm like, I'm having a psychotic break. <laughs> that's what it is. That, that, light, that light was me you know, going to the light. <laughs> I'm having a psychotic yeah. break. And it was probably about it was about almost a week later where I'm laying on the couch because I just I, I couldn't sleep, so I'm just laying on the couch, laying on the couch, I'm looking at the ceiling, and I'm looking this it, for some reason, I just kind of looked tilted my head to the left, and I saw this little blue light, and what I thought at first is I thought it was just I was catching a glimpse out of the corner of my eye of the uh, smoke detector, but the light got bigger, and as it got bigger. The hair on my arms, it was almost like a, you know like when you rub a balloon on your head and you get that static electricity in your head, kind of, yeah. your hair kind of frizzes out? All the hair on my body was starting to feel like it was like a really tingly, weird sensation. The light started getting bigger 
and bigger. And then I just had this really like feeling like I, I'm like I'm gonna fall asleep. I'm like this, I, like I couldn't keep my eyes open. There was this like an ionized smell. I can't even describe it, but it was not a putrid smell. It wasn't a bad smell, but it was just like a. Did it smell like, like the exhaust in a bus? Did it smell like the exhaust in a, in a, in a bus station? That's what I describe it as. No, it wasn't the, really that strong. It was kind of. It was. It's almost like if you've ever had like a, 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 an electric outlet blow on you, whatever, and you get that yes. slight smell. So it was like a burning smell, but not quite a burning smell. And I just remember all of a sudden this light got brighter and brighter, just like it was outside. And I just remember closing my eyes, and I was out. I I woke up, and next thing you know, I woke up. I'm sitting on this metal. I I, I want to call it a table, you know, almost like an examination table. But I was just sitting on this table. And I remember the, the room wasn't that big, maybe a 20-foot by 20-foot room. It really wasn't a medical-type room. It felt like it because I could, you know, because some of the electronics that were in there. But it was a cross between being in like a, almost like a server room. I mean, it was very high-tech, but at the same time, it had that that hospital, like, stale, that uh, sterilization-type smell. And yeah. there was a gentleman that was wearing uh, a white you know, frock type thing like the doctors wear. Um, and I just remember when he turned to me, I was kind of taken back because it was his eyes like glowed. It was a like a almost like a day glow blue. It was just, but it, but it like he, I was taken back, but I wasn't scared. And then there was one door. I remember there was only one door coming in. I was looking around because I was like, okay, I'm gonna bolt here. I'm thinking maybe I'm just having a dream. I got a bolt. <laughs> I, I wasn't thinking this was real. And then this. This girl came in, blonde hair. I per- I call her now Amy, but she came in the room, and and she introduced herself. She goes, you know, she goes, you know, I'm here to help you. Um, she knew who I was, and she said, listen, um, in order for you to spend any significant time up here, we have a, you know, we have somebody that wants to meet you. We need to give you a shot, in order to raise your vibrational frequency, in order to spend any time up here with us. Now. I hate needles. <laughs> I heard shot, and I'm like, uh, hell no, <laughs> that ain't happening. I mean, and the guy was coming to me, and it wasn't with a needle. It was, it almost looked like a gun. That's what, and so now I'm like really freaking. Out. I'm thinking I've, I've just got to have must have I'm kind of ate something. It's a hallucination. It's it's something. This is not real. And she came over and she said it's real. And she goes, don't be afraid. And she touched my elbow. And as soon as she touched my elbow, I was like. Oh my God! Everything's gonna be okay. I'm like, okay. He came over and he gave me a shot in my leg, and to this day, I still have the mark. Um, and what was interesting is he they gave me the shot and she said, okay, you're going to find, you know, you're going to feel weird for a few days, um, but this shot is going to give you changes that I think you're going to like. And when it starts taking into effect, he goes, we'll speak again. And I said, "What do you mean?" And she goes, "We'll speak again." And she put her two fingers on my on the top of my forehead, and it was—I don't want to say it was a push. It was more just kind of like just barely touching me, and I just felt myself wanting to lay down on this, you know, stainless steel table. And next thing you know, I, I just look up at the ceiling, and there's this blue light coming down, white light again, that same kind of feeling. And next thing I woke up, I'm back in my living room. Now I'm thinking, okay, I just woke up and like, wow, that is one hell of a dream, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And, I'm, and then 
I reached down on my leg, and it hurt a little bit. And I looked down, and there was a little blood, and there was a mark on my leg right where that shot was given me. That freaked me out. I, I went running to the bathroom like, oh, my God, what just – I was – with not having any experience with that, not having you know read anything on the subject for something that, like that to happen, I was just so freaked out. And I had a doctor's appointment a few days later, and I wanted to, uh, I just wanted to ask my doctor. I didn't, you know, I thought, well, maybe it's just an ingrown hair. I was just coming up with trying to come up with any possible, ex, you know, explanation. I guess, you know, it's kind of hard to explain to people that you're just trying to, you know, like I tell people, I, I felt I was more like a, a skeptic. I was just like trying to rationally analyze if you knew who I was as a person, I was just trying to rationalize everything. Like, okay, this didn't happen. It was just this. I caught it on something while I was sleeping. I had a night tremor. I just, every possible thing I could think of. And when I went to the doctor, I asked her, I said, hey, can you take a look at this? I think it's an ingrown hair. And she takes, you know, looks at it. She takes a little magnifying glass, looks at it, and does a few things. And she's like, she goes, you recently had a shot? And I was like, it, my blood just started curling. And I said, yeah. um, no, I no, not I you know, I wasn't gonna tell her, Yeah, I had a shot, aliens took me, you know. <laughs> I wasn't gonna say that to her. Um, but she said she goes, It looks like he goes it looked like you had one of those, you know, injections with one of those what they call like a um it's like a, a power pressure type needle. It's it's not a traditional needle, it's like a pressurized like gun type needle. And I've never even heard of this. I forgot the technical term she said for it. I'm like no, I said I no. She goes, oh, well, just watch it. Let me know if it doesn't go away. You know, we'll we'll go have it take a look at. I'm like, okay. So that kind of put me on the oh my god, something happened to me. But I still at that point wasn't committed to buying into this whole paranormal thing because I you know didn't want anything to do with it. It was about two weeks later. I still hadn't done anything. With this book, I was ha still having problems sleeping. I still, every time I tried to go sleep, I kept having this image of this movie playing in my head. These little, the voices trying. I catch words here and there. I couldn't tune it in. But then, after about a week, it it almost like the words started getting a little clearer. The images I was seeing in my head started to get really clear to the point where I could almost see them with my eyes open, like I was watching a TV looking at the wall. And I was like, okay, you know what? I, I just decided one day I'm, I'm just going to start writing. And I sat down, and I must have cranked out 5,000 words that first day. I could not wow. stop. I, I, I could not stop. I can't even explain it. I went in at 7 o'clock in the morning. I think it was 11 o'clock at night. I got. A, I could not stop. I didn't eat. It was. I was like I was possessed. I couldn't stop typing. And I'm like, oh, my God. So I went through it, and I wrote the book. And what I noticed is after that first day, I went to bed that night and I actually slept. There was no video playing in my head. There was no voices. I actually slept. I'm like, okay, this is just weird. And for, from that point on, I couldn't put the book down writing it. And I wrote the book in about a month. And I put it away. And after it was after that, though, I put the book away. That's when I was taken again. And, and this time, same thing. I'm laying on the couch, brought up. Same room, the only difference, the doctor wasn't there, but Amy was standing right there, and she said, well, I have a special treat for you. She goes, how are you feeling? And I'm like, believe it or not, I'm feeling really good. And she said, well, that's kind of the, the benefit of this shop. Besides allowing you to spend time up here, 
um, you're going to find that it's going to boost your immune system there on Earth. And she's right. Ever since I had that shot, I have not been sick one day. Not a sniffle, not a cold. I've been around people with the flu. I'm like, breathe on me. I've, I've got to get sick. There's got to be a way. Nothing. So Amazing. Yeah, everybody's like, send them over my way. <laughs> I'm giving that shot, you know? And I'm like, oh, well. But the the, the third time I went up there um, with her, well, it was actually the second time that I went I was up there with her, she took me um, down these quarters. Everybody's like, well, how do you know where you were on a ship? Or I said, well, let me explain. It says, I was taken the second time up there, and she was walking me through these quarters. There was no windows the corridors were not, they were big, but not big, big. Um, you know, I'm 5'10". The, the corridors were probably a good 6, maybe 6'10", six, 7 feet. Um, they were lit with like a, a, a neon purplish, day glow blue type color. Um, they weren't dark, but they weren't bright, bright either. And there was no windows I could see. There was rooms off certain sides, but I didn't see any physical windows. Just walking down these corridors... And I remember coming into this conference room, and she goes, I have somebody I want you to meet. And she, I said, well, who is it? She goes, well, I can't say his name. She goes, I can put it, the thought into your head, but you're not going to understand it because you don't have a concept of our language. And she did, and I, I, to be honest with you, I couldn't even pronounce it. I couldn't even say it because the, it wasn't like a structural language like we have. It was just kind of... I don't even. It's, it was almost like a form of energy. That's 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 the best way I could describe it. And yeah. this gentleman turns around, and the same thing. They all had these incredible eyes. I just can't. I can't even tell you. You just want to get lost in them. There was a slight glow to them, but you just wanted to get lost in them. And he turned around, and he spoke to me, but it was in my head. And she, Amy, explained to me. She was. She spoke. English. She was a few of them on the ship, apparently, that spoke English. But her English was a perfect English. And when I tell people, I said, if you took somebody that's never spoken English on this planet and you tried to teach them English, it was almost like it was straight out of like the, you know, the 1700s or the 1500s. It was just, it was so, like it was perfect English, but there was no slang, there was no inflectuation of the voice, there was no, it was just very monotone, emotionless just enough to get the words across. And she said that she was one of the few that spoke, but the majority of the people don't speak. And the elder explained to me that, you know, he feels that the human form of communication is a very primitive form of communication. So he just, um, they don't use their vocal cords. Everything's telepathy. And whenever he wanted to make a point, it wasn't just telepathy. It was like 4D scratch and sniff. I mean, like you were there smelling, feeling the sensation, whatever. He he put it in your head like you were living the event. Um, and that's the, the first time I met him. He, we, we went to this wall. It was a luminous looking. So, you know, I, I know now it was the side of the ship, but it was like aluminum looking. But it had like a translucent film to it, kind of. And he took his hand, he waved his hand, and a screen popped up. And it was me. But it was me as a kid. It was events in my life from when I was a kid. And I didn't really wow. remember some of them, but some of them I did. And 
And he goes, just watch and learn. And he's showing me these events, but he's not just showing me. Again, it was like 40. It was like I was reliving every single moment. The, I could smell my house from when I was a kid. I could just, you know, the, it was like a New England fall day. I could smell the leaves. I could I feel the wind. I mean, it was, it was as if I was living that event again, but from an outside point of view. And he was showing me episodes of where this person I missed, I took as an angel, which looked awful a lot like Amy. It wasn't, she wasn't exactly her, but awfully a lot like her. And he just showed these events, and then he showed me other events, and he says, "Do you understand?" And I'm like, um, "No." <laughs> I'm like, "Can you?" He goes, "He goes, hold on a second. And he took his, waved his hand again, and that screen went away, and then there was two screens. And I'm like, okay. He says, watch and learn. And I'm watching the two screens, and the images were flying by. I can't even tell you how fast they were flying. I mean, it was just like, it was like taking a movie, because it wasn't just images. It was like clips of a movie, and they were just flying by. It, try watching two 60-inch TVs side by side, and you're like right up close. You can't follow them if, if they're in fast forward mode a hundred times over. I was trying to watch everything and I was feeling everything and it was me but it was me in the future. And there was one of me that died when I was like 47 <laughs> and there was another one that died and I was 82. And those images stopped and I was kind of taken aback because when you feel your own death they kind of put your whole life in perspective a little bit. And he said, do you understand? I'm like, um, no, I don't. What the, I, I, you know, I was like, what the hell is going on? And he's like, you have a choice. We can't make it for you. We've been around for a while. We've watched your planet. We've watched you and, and many others. And we gave you a gift and, and you have a choice. You have a path. You're at a crossroads. All we can do is show you the paths. We can't make you walk them. And he talked, I don't want to say in cryptic code or, or like a like a swami, but that's kind of how he sometimes talked. It was just kind of like he wouldn't give you the answer. And when he replied, sometimes he'd give you more, more questions than answers. And it was just driving me crazy. And I remember just looking, I couldn't understand that. I'm like, okay, you know what? This isn't real. I'm just I'm just dreaming. This is not real. And he told me, he's like, maybe this will help. And he took his hand, waved, the, waved you know, his hand, the screens went away. And then the metal, if I, you know, aluminum, that I guess that was there, it opened from top to bottom, just opened, and I was looking down on the earth. And I can't, I can't describe in words that feeling. And I couldn't understand it until I started reading up you know, months later, some of the history of the astronauts when they first went to space and they looked and they yeah. got their first look of Earth and they call it the aha moment. I think Buzz Aldrin called it that. He said it was the aha moment, that that surreal time when you look down and you feel so small. That's what I was like, that's what I felt. And he just looked at me and says, well, that's enough, for, you know, enough for now. He goes, this is, we'll have many more conversations. I said, well, what do I call you? He goes, well, Search your heart. What do you want to call me? And the first thing that came to my head was, I'm like, I for some reason, I just said, 
I got the feeling because he was so knowledgeable. I said, I'm going to call you the elder. He goes, that works. And I was taken away. Well, since then, I had gone up there. I've gone up there um, a dozen times. And probably the seven or eight times after that, the conversations with him were always in the same room, always taken the same way. But the conversations, we talked about his culture, we talked about you know how his life is, but he was always asking me questions. He's like, well, explain to me you know, money, explain to me religion on your planet. Like, he wa- like I was teaching him, he wanted me to t- teach oh, yeah. him about Earth. And so I'm explaining him all this stuff, all this stuff, and it was probably the seventh meeting, seventh, eighth meeting, I remember sitting there, and it hit me. One of the conversations we had early on was about his culture, about how everybody there on that ship chooses to be in a position that they're in. Not because they, you know, learned that position, because everybody knows everything. Because of the telepathy and the way they can read, if he were to be in the presence of a doctor, he would know everything the doctor knows and could go and do a surgery. That's the way he described it to me. He goes, so because everybody knows everything about everybody and every position... You choose to. So right now, I choose to kind of be in charge, but I could go work, you know, in another department, and somebody could easily step in, and they're not. Nobody will miss a beat because that's why there's no deceit, um, there's no greed, because we're all considered equals. And I remember that for some reason, I remember that conversation, and I and it just hit me that because we're having this conversation about religion, and I looked at him, I said, wait a minute. I said, if you already know everything in my head, why am I even explaining this to you? I said, you you know everything. And he looked at me, and he just kept looking at me. And I said, ah, I get it. I'm not teaching you. You're teaching me. And he just looked at me with this, like, really devilish little smile and just mm-hmm. shook his head. And it dawned on me, like, I would leave from being up there for, you know, sometimes two, three hours, but it would feel like minutes here and I would come back and I'd have I'd write pages and pages of stuff or conversations questions things that popped in my head I'm like you know what I gotta ask him about this or you know I, I gotta mention to him about this and I started reevaluating everything in my life everything from my religion everything to how I lived my life the whole work the, the path I was on what I was doing in my life and I've completely completely changed my life to where I'm a vegetarian now I'm very careful about what I eat and what I put in my body. Um, I'm also very spiritual. However, and I always stress this, not defined by the way we define spirituality on this earth because spirituality defined on this planet gets looped in religion. And most religions, if not all of them on this planet, are man-based religions. So I don't get tied into that. Do I believe that there is a, a creator, if you want to call that, or a source? Yeah, I do. Um, but I don't believe in a God. Um, and, and that's kind of because of all the conversations I had with him. And they believe, too. They believe in a creator. They believe that they are trying to connect with the source, which they consider an energy source, not a physical being or God, but like an energy source that they're trying to ascend to connect to that energy source. Um, And they consider it an energy source of knowledge, that that's what they're trying to tap into, that that source of knowledge. Um, And 
you know, the conversations with him <laughs> were just, I mean, some of the most profound things he ever said to me. Um, and like I said, I, I really started getting into ufology after about the about the third time I was taken up there. That's when I started seeking out all the abduction support groups, the UFO groups out here, yeah. and just sitting in with them, going to these meetings. And I felt bad because there were ones that had really bad experiences, and, and I didn't know this. I had a positive one. So all of a sudden I hear these people telling horror stories about being ripped from their bed with a crane, you know. And I was just like, oh, my God, they're, they're, this is just ridiculous. These people are getting, you know, ripped from their bed. I don't want to talk. What do you talk. think I don't the difference s- is? Why are some people taken against their will, and why are others uh, seem to have a more intellectual experience rather than a physical and fear-based uh, experience? You know, that's What's a great difference? question. That's a great question. And the only way, the only thing that I've come to a conclusion with is that these certain beings are following certain people for certain reasons. Some it's genetics. Um, some it's because they they're, they know that they can trust them to get the word out or, or they can handle what needs to be put. I mean, there's some people, you know, if you look at some, like, you know, like Mother Teresa, you know, let's, let's, yeah. let's just take Mother Teresa. Not everybody can do that. Not everybody can be a trauma no. nurse. You have to have that special person that can handle that. And I think certain species are looking for stuff like that. But I also think that certain species follow genetic traits, genetic lines, are looking for particular things. Um, one of the most interesting things that I ever looked into, which somebody mentioned and I looked into, was the whole RH negative and that a lot of contactees, especially when it came to the greys, tend to be RH negative, which can't be traced back to the monkeys. Exactly. Um, so they tend to be along that lines. But I also think a lot of it has to do individually. Um, you know, we only use 10%. We only see like 10% of the physical light through our eyes. So there's a lot going on that we don't see. And yeah. I personally feel that two people could be looking up at the sky and one will see a UFO and one won't, one won't. Why? Because that UFO is vibrating at a particular frequency. And I think certain people, whether it's what they eat, whether it's, you know, whether they exercise, how they live their life, are vibrating at different frequencies. And those frequencies can put you, you into two that, different things. Yeah, can you explain that a little little more? Because uh, what, do you, what do you mean by a vibration? If you could explain in detail, because I hear this a lot, but I, I really mm-hmm. actually don't understand what you, the exact concept of what okay. you're saying. Um, okay, well, let's, well, we'll make it, instead of a vibrational frequency, let's look at it this way. Some yeah. people need glasses and some people don't. So you can have two people looking at a similar object that's 100 feet away, but one has really bad eyesight and one has really good eyesight. Well, the one with really good eyesight is going to see something the other person isn't going to. And the only way the other person is going to see that is if they put glasses on. So people who are vibrating at a certain frequency are tuned into that. It's it's sort of like your radio in your car. You know, okay. you have all these stations going on in your car, but they're not all playing at the same time, correct? The only way to do it is you correct. turn the dial. And as you so I think everybody is tuned in to a certain frequency. Um and I think that's why sometimes you gravitate to certain people. I think sometimes you gravitate away from certain people. I think why um, 
I think there's a reason why we look at things differently. Like some people can have a sense of smell or, or something, eat something and they like to taste it and somebody else doesn't. Because we're all individuals and we're all tuned in. We all have our own frequency. And we can adjust that frequency, you know, and a lot has to do with what we eat. A lot has to do with how we exercise, a lot how if we meditate, um, you know, we can kind of control that a little bit. It's, it's like if you're like 105, 105 on the dial, well, you can go up yeah. to 106 and you can go down to 104. But that's that's your range, that's your frequency range, where somebody else might be 98. So that's why I think certain people might be more in tune to be in touch with the grays because they're at that frequency, where somebody might be more in tune to be at with the Nordics because they're at that frequency. Um and that's kind of what I that's the way I look at it um, you know and when people say about frequency and stuff I said well you know what I you know when you look at I just wonder if everybody means the same thing you know because I do hear it a lot and I just would mm-hmm. would like to know what everybody means by that but I like what well, you're saying about the radio frequencies I get it you know well some people go into the whole I mean if you go into the new age stuff um, the New Age kind of has a, a little different take about frequency and vibrations okay. and stuff like that. Yeah, but um, it's one of the reasons why, if you've ever seen, you can go to YouTube and check out the video where uh, a gentleman has sand on this piece of um, stainless steel, and he vibrates different sound frequencies. And as he di- vibrates those fr- sound frequencies, they create different patterns. And I think that's what yeah. we are. We are all different patterns on different frequencies. And some of us are tuned into the same frequency. And I think that's why certain people experience very similar experiences. And then some experience totally different experiences because their vibrational frequency is a little bit different. Um, so it's kind of like... For a reason. Like a, yeah, for exactly, for a reason. Whether it is... Um, being genetically done, whether, you know, the the graves, or it's just the kind of the way we are born or the way we change. Um, mm. But, yeah, the the whole, it, it was interesting because when we talked about, you know, with him about frequency and about how things, you know, work and stuff like that, that was one of the things he talked to me about um, in regards to, cause I, one of the things I asked him was, well, how are you taking me out of my house? That's what I want to know because the doors are locked. And, you know, it's like how are you how are you taking me out of the house? And he tried to he, what the way he explained it is on our planet we have a basis of time as from point A to point B to point C to point D. They don't have the same concept of time. And their technology allows them to submit, to basically experience, if you want to get into quantum physics modes of it, but experience multiple um, time frequencies at the same time. You know, you talk about these multiple strings or the multiple universe. Um, it's kind of what they were talking about. And what he said they do is, he goes, when we come and take you, we are taking and vibrating your frequency to a point where we can maneuver you to a point in time when your house wasn't there and then we take you move you outside the house and then we bring you back <clears throat> into the time frame that we currently are and able to bring you up he goes on some ta- sometimes he goes some of the species when they bring you through he goes and that's why people people talk about being taken through the wall 
He goes, mm-hmm. when you see certain species will take you through the wall. And what they are doing is they are vibrating your frequency, your body frequency, to match the wall. See, there's no difference. If you get into quantum physics, there's no difference from the wall oh, yeah, look, to the floor to us. We're all energy. We're all particles. It's just how they are bounded together by the frequency, by how how fast they're um, maneuvering in time and space. So when you can manipulate that, you can manipulate somebody and bring them in and out of either dimensions, either out of you know different time frames, or in and out of walls, um, which is really, really interesting when you when you hear him really explain into detail kind of how they do that. Um, but I think for me, the, the, the biggest thing that I took from our conversation was the conversation we I had with him about money. And trying to explain, you know, the concepts of money, you know, how we spend things, how we have to work to get things and all this stuff and, you know, the different you know, the different currencies that we have on this planet, how they're not all the same and, you know, all this stuff with him. And when he actually said to me, um he he kept looking at me and and he put it in my head, he goes, I don't get it. And I was getting frustrated because I'm trying to explain to him. I didn't know how to explain it any simpler, easier than I was explaining it to him. I'm like, you know, we have a concept of money, and it's based on this. And, you know, I started going to the gold standard and this whole thing with him. And he's just like, I don't get it. I said, okay, what what don't you get? And he looked at me and he said, I don't get why you have to pay to live in a planet you were born on. <laughs> wow. And that just floored me. That... I, re- I remember coming home that night, and I just sat there, and that just hit me so hard. You know, I, when I was in Massachusetts, I was Incredible. making over $100,000 a year. I was making big money yeah. doing what I was doing, but I wasn't happy. Now I'm out here in Vegas. I don't make as much as I was making, but I'm so, so much happier, <laughs> you know. And it's not like you're doing good out there. You're blossoming, really. You know, it, it's a different it's a different thing. If I had five dollars on me, and I see somebody on the street, I'm going to give them the five bucks. Yeah. I do a lot for charity. I give a lot of my money away, probably more than I probably should. Um, you know, I, I'm, I live my life to where I'm like one major disaster from being on the street. And people go, "Well, how can that be? You, you make this and you make that." I said, "You don't understand, because I give it to people who don't have anything." I said, "That's just what I've yeah. always done." I said, "I've been doing that since my experiences," um, and. When, when you sit down with this elder and, and the feeling around him, by the probably the sixth time I was up there, I didn't want to leave because there was such this feeling of love being around him. This I can't. It's it's like it's it's like having a nice warm blanket that just comes right out of the dryer. You just want to wrap it around. And you don't want to let it go, and you and then you want to throw it back in the dryer and do it again. That's exactly the feeling I had around him. And although they were um, human in form, I had a distinct feeling that they were more more of more of an energy being. And I don't want to, because people talk about light beings and stuff, I don't necessarily say they were that, but I think their, their form that they had was to make it a little bit easier for me to sit across from them and have a conversation. Um, and we yes. had all kinds of different conversations, everything from, you know, time travel and, you know, how they got here and, and all this other stuff and um, it was just, I mean, I have like 2,000 pages of notes from all the conversations, and to try to try to write that down, and, you know, the other, the other thing, and one of the reasons why the book I'm writing about my experiences, 
The book's called We're Not Gods. And I can't, I've had twice I've written 195 pages and I've deleted it. People are like, you deleted 195 pages of a book? And I'm like, yes. I says it wasn't, it wasn't, it didn't come across as well as it should. And I, and I just said, well, you know, what? I'm going to start from scratch. This just does not make sense. It's not flowing the way I would like it to flow. And when I had conversations with him, um, the reason I named it We Are Not Gods is because I was brought up very strict Catholic. I mean, we're talking, you know, I used to ask a lot of questions when I was in Sunday school. <laughs> to the point yeah, me too. You know, the nuns would call home to my, my, my parents and they would go, okay, um, if Tina continues to ask questions, she's not going to be allowed back. So I was told, well, you know, don't ask questions, don't don't rock the boat type thing, you know. So I just, you know, went along just to do what everybody did. Um, but when you sit there, and I, I was talking to the elder, and we, we had this huge conversation about religion and, and all this stuff. And I asked him, I said, well, do you have a religion or do you have anything like that on your planet? And he's like, no. No, he says, we're very spiritual, but not defined by the spirituality. You define spirituality and lump it into religion and into a godlike form, which was written by man, because we don't do that. Um, and I asked him, I said, well, why don't you come down then and explain this to us? Why don't you come down and help? You know, kind of help us out. And I remember this is the only time in all the meetings, I've had 12 meetings with him, this is the only time I ever, ever noticed him get agitated when I asked him about coming down. And he said, listen, he goes, he goes, we're like your UN. We're allowed to watch, we're allowed to monitor, but we can't interfere until you as a planet. He goes, you know, he says, we look at you and we look at your planet and we don't see the USA, we don't see China, we don't see all these countries, we don't see individual races, we don't see rich, we don't see poor. We see Earth and we see humans. You have broken yourself up into so many categories that you don't know how to define yourselves anymore. He goes, when you can just simply define yourself as humans. We can't come down and help until a such point that there would be a, such a major disaster on your planet. And I was shown that, that you would look to the skies and ask for our help. I said, well, they would look to, you know, a lot of people would look to God. He goes, no, they would look to God and realize that God's not going to save them. And then they would look elsewhere. He goes, and at that point, we would try to come down and help, but... There's a bunch of us that would be very wary about that because we don't want to be perceived as gods. And that was his whole thing. He says, you know, I says, what do you mean? He goes, we don't want to be perceived as gods. And he kept saying this. And I said, well, you know, we wouldn't perceive you as gods. He goes, many of you would. And I said, and then I'll never forget this. I kept pushing, and he looked right at me and almost knocked me with his thought, almost knocked me back. I mean, I... I physically felt myself like it jolted and he looked right at me and says we don't want to be perceived as gods again and at that point you were going to say that because it happened before I almost said it and I bit my tongue yeah. it happened before yeah Amy grabbed my arm and that she rushed me out of there and that was the only time I had ever seen him really kind of get edgy or agitated that's the only time um, and I never brought up religion after that again. <laughs> I never talked about, you know, um, coming down to help. We just had different conversations, everything from, you know, time travel to, you know, how ta- how, how they got here and, you know, how old they have been and, and all those kind of things. So it was kind of very interesting in, in that respect. 
fascinating. I was shown one time the end of the earth and, uh, you know, the devastation that we, everybody kind of anticipates that things are going to happen or maybe not, I don't know. But anyway, they were showing me, you know, destruction and fires and cities burning. And then I turned around and looked at them. It's like almost like we were standing before a huge screen. So I was watching it all. And then they showed me something. And it looked like a thick, like a almost the size of a, a very large horseshoe, but filled in almost so ancient that whatever the material was looked like now brown leather from the ancient, how old it was. I mean, it was thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of year old. And they and on top of it was this look like metal symbols. And they, and they said, they showed it to me, and I said, I can't look at it. I said, I'm not ready for that yet. I can't. I could not <laughs> conceive of uh, their God showing up so many thousands of years ago. It just tweaked my brain, so I, I couldn't look at it. So we haven't had a discussion. Well, they, they do ask us because they want to know our ideas because they don't actually get us, you know, and then, you know, they ask me many things the same way. It's like uh, challenging on the even ethical sense, you know, a lot of ethical questions. I don't know if you've been asked ethical stuff, but you've got to keep writing that book because we need to hear about it. And, um I'm you know, hoping to have it done this fall. Maybe it'll help us. Well, you know, yeah. I had a great illustrator. She she's done up some pictures. She's got some more pictures she's going to do for me. And I'm I'm about 160, 170 pages in. I like where it's going right now. So I'm hoping everything will be done maybe by the fall or whatever and stuff. But it's so tough. You know, I, I tell people like when I wrote Alien Deceptions. You know, I just have a kids book that just came out um, called The Case of the Missing Sneaker. And when you write stuff like that, when you write fiction, and, and although Alien Deceptions is fiction, there's a, as I did research, there's a lot of different stuff in there. <laughs> um, but what's interesting is with fiction, if you get stuck in something and, and you don't know, like where you are, you can just write whatever you want. You know, you can work your way out of it. When you're writing your own personal ex- abduction experience, I don't like the word abduction. It's more, you know, I look at it as experience or a contactee. But when you're writing about your own experiences, you can't go in and say, and, and although may, I know some have, but I wouldn't do that. But you can't go in and go, oh, you know what? Okay, well, you know what? I'm kind of stuck here. Well, you know, let me just make this up. <laughs> you know, you can't do no. that because you're talking about your experiences. And for me, that was the toughest thing because I'm reading this and I'm like, okay, it just it didn't have the emotion. And, and you know, I had a good friend of mine who said, well, you know, you know what the problem is, Tina? You're writing it and then you're reading it. Maybe what you need to do is write it and let somebody else read it and see what they experience. Oh, because if they yeah. experience it, you know, you may not experience it because you're reading it. And you and you want it to be so perfect that you know what? Maybe you're at ninety nine percent and you don't need that one percent because somebody's gonna read it and they're gonna be blown away by it. It goes so I have a friend of mine that said, Okay, when you get it done, don't delete it before you even think about deleting it. He goes to me, he goes, Send it to me. <laughs> Let me read it. I'm like, Okay, I'll do that <laughs> you know. Well give it a chance because it's also you know, there's an also another problem is that uh, I'm an experiencer too, but there's not words for some of these things. So any kind of right. words you try to put on it, it really isn't saying what it is. You're just trying to talk around it 
to, because I even tell people that, okay, I'm telling you these and these words, but that doesn't even touch what I'm really trying to tell you. Because I don't have any words that... Right. One of the one of the things we talked about was time travel, you know, or you know, yes, exactly. space travel, yeah. and I I, exp- I asked them, and and they kind of simplified, you know, the 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 form of how, to, and it's funny because I've seen articles since talking about you know these wormholes and stuff, and this is kind of what they were talking about, and he goes, you know, I could show you the mathematics, but because you don't understand our language, you don't understand our our numbering systems, our, our symbols, it would just look gibberish to you. And, he, and I remember him he goes, showing me, he goes, this is a formula for, you know, seeking out this particular wormhole. And it was huge, but it was in these symbols, you know, it wasn't in like 1 plus 1 equals pi or divided, you know, it wasn't in, you know, I, I took calculus, I know what it looked like. It wasn't, didn't look anything like that. So he was right, I'm looking at it, he goes, and I looked at it real quick, and I, and I, I can't tell you what it was, I can't even describe it. So he's like, well, he the rules are me, also different. The rules are different. Like where we would say things were up and, and down, gravity, right. gravitational speaking, they don't have that. Like there is, what do you mean up and down? It's like everything is just, that's why I understand exactly what you're saying. You know, it's mesmerizing hearing it coming from somebody else. It really is. Well, they yeah, have the a, part, a much stronger grasp of quantum physics than we do. Yeah. Um, you know, we're still we're still in the stone age when it comes to mathematics. We're slowly shifting gears into quantum physics. A lot of our, you know, if, when you start looking at the the tachyon drives and, and some of the stuff that you know NASA and some of these ones are working on, they're all based off of quantum physics. Um, and I think that's the route we're going. And I think that's where we're going to develop. I personally think we have interstellar space travel already, but um, that's kind of where our mathematics are going, that they're going to start getting into the more of the quantum physics stuff to the point where that's where our math is going to be taught. So the, the math that we were taught 20 years ago when it's, you know, multiplication and math addition, that's going to go the wayside and we're going to start thinking in, you know, multiple levels and multiple angles in quantum physics. Yeah, um, when you start talking about, like, the string theories and multiple universes and all that stuff, we're, we're going to start thinking in that that frame of line, which I think is going to help us to go where we need to go. It'll help us because then we're going to start naming these things so we'll have a different language and ways to talk about it mm-hmm. because that vocabulary is very important and that's how we transmit information. And, uh, you know, someday we'll get to... Well, there is a certain way to... Uh, I have immediate connection with people, I know what they're thinking, I know what the animals want, I know what, you know, they'll send me a thought, and I'll go, okay, I'll start acting on it, and people find it very bizarre, but I'm, I'm, they work the same way, they they have an immediacy, like animals to each other have an immediacy that uh, there's an understanding, we can't see or hear what they're doing, but right. they're actually sending something, a picture or whatever. To me, right. it, it would be a my animals that have spoken to me, let's say, they'll send me a picture, and, and the picture will describe what they want or what they're thinking about or their, their problem or complaint or whatever. Um, I want you to change my water. They'll send me a dirty fish tank picture. I go, oh, gee, thanks. They need it literally. They say, you know, they, they feel that way. So, okay, a little bird does that to me all the time. He was a man among birds, okay? <laughs> But he had an attitude problem. 
<laughs> well, and that's the thing is when you when you deal, I mean, there's like ever since I had my experiences, the biggest problem that I have is being around negativity. Um, yes. People who are like either really depressed or or people who are really negative. Um, like even during the holidays, going into any stores, you would think, oh, it's a happy time of the season, but people are so stressed out with money and buying this and that, that the energy that they send off makes me nauseous. And when I say about being, yeah, you know, not being sick, I've never been sick, but when I'm around that stuff, I do. I get, it's almost like I'm going to pass out. I get nauseated and I have to walk away. And when I, once I walk away for a few minutes, then I'm, then I'm fine, but I'm so more in tune. And I, and I think most people who have had experiences, they tend, if they weren't psychic, they tend to develop psychic abilities to a point. I think they tend to have more paranormal activity happen around them because they are more in tune. Their, their frequency, for whatever reason, is being being has been raised to the point where they are now more in tune with stuff that most people don't see. Right. Now, I was going to ask you a couple of questions. Do you have any sure. family members or, uh, you know, close personal, you know, personal friends like you grew up with, with that had UFO or paranormal experiences that you can remember? Um, any anything that happened? I have a I have a ten year old son, and you know, I never thought about it until I had my experiences when he was a kid. Things used to happen at the house. <laughs> things would get broke. Things would get moved. He'd get out of the crib, and uh, there's no way he was climbing out of the crib. And he'd look at me, and he'd go, oh, it was it was Binko. It was his imaginary friend that did it. And I never put two and two together until I had my experiences. And then, I, then I started thinking about when I was a kid and things that happened and, and little experiences. And I always when I had my experiences out here, I never talked much around him because I didn't want to expose him to that. Um, and then I went public, and as soon as I went public, he kind of found out about it. And that's when he kind of made a comment to me about certain things, you know, having experiences, think, he, he's thinking he's been taken. And, mm-hmm. you know, it, you know, he kind of jokes now. He's like, when he talks to his friend, he's like, yeah, my mom's a UFO UFO freak, <laughs> <You know? laughs> which is you know kind of funny, whatever stuff. He's like, "Hey, oh, your little yeah, little friends around? Where's your, where's your, hey, you know, there'll be a light in the sky." He goes, "Hey, yeah, hey, mom, your friends now, coming. Mom's on the radio." <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, that was. But you know, I'll tell you what was interesting. Um, when I was yeah. doing my show, I ended up having um, Bob Luca and uh, Betty Andreessen on my show. Now, what's interesting is they have the Andreessen affair. Well, that took place in Ashburnham, Massachusetts, which was 12 miles from where when I grew up as a kid. Wow. And it was around the time that I was having my experiences, which I thought was interesting. I could, I'm like, when I found this out, I read their book. I'm like, yeah, you guys are coming on my show. I need to talk about this because. And I started looking into UFO flaps that happened as a kid around the area that I was. I mean, I was, you know. 30-minute drive from Fort Devens, which was at the time a major, you know, one of the bigger military bases in Massachusetts. Um, I did have friends of mine, well, family members of mine that were were in the military. Um, But never when I asked my mom and dad about it, did they have any experiences? No, they wouldn't talk about it. They refused to talk about any experiences that they had. So for me, I was just kind of like, okay, you know, but... um, 
now it's kind of one of those things where things have kind of taken on a life of their own. You know, I have my experiences and, 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 you know, I, I talk about them when I get the chance and, you know, and I don't hide them. So when, you know, if somebody asks me, I'm like, you know, whether it's work or whatever, like, you know, I, at work at this radio station, they're like, oh, it's the UFO girl, <laughs> you know. Um, but I don't hide it anymore. But there is, um, you know, when I first went public, and even now, I mean, there are days when I think, why did I even open my mouth? Why did I even say anything? Yeah. Because ufology has changed. Um you know, I, I pulled out, I was in like 150 UFO groups on Facebook. I pulled that out of every single one of them. Because the problem I found with ufology is the the attacking that I would get, I wasn't getting yeah. from people who weren't in ufology. I was getting from people who were in ufology, <laughs> you know. So it yeah. was, um, you know, people who maybe had a different experience. Well, their experience is the only experience that counts. And I'm like, no, 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 listen. If I'm going to accept your experience, and I do, I think there's many different experiences, and I think everybody experiences the same thing. I mean, you could ask somebody to eat a pineapple and describe it, and they're all going to describe it differently. And I think we all have a small piece of the puzzle. And until we stop this infighting in ufology, this egomaniac need to be at the conference, need to have my next book out, need to be this, need to be that, I'm better than you type attitude. If we all just set that aside, if we all would just put our story, put our pieces and and support one another, I think you'd find that the puzzle piece would start to come together because I truly believe disclosure is not coming from our government and it's not going to come from some of these so-called big-name researchers who, who think they're egos and they're on ancient aliens and everybody else. It's not coming from them because most of them have never had an experience. It's going to come from people in small groups who have had experiences, who share, because I have met many, many contactees who have no interest being on the radio. They have no interest writing a book. They just want answers. And I've seen too many researchers who come in, scoop down, take their story, go on the lecture circuit, make all this money off their book, and once they've talked to their abductee and, and, and they've taken their story, never even talk to them again. Let them oh, that's you so want you to deal with it. That's you know, I'm glad that I just stayed in that one support group so long because uh it's, I really am supported there, even when I was just coming out and it was really difficult. You know, but um I'm gonna tell you a couple of coincidences. Anyway, I was born in Boston. And no way. Uh, yes way. And then there's another <laughs> very odd coincidence that my mother uh was born in Poughkeepsie, New York. And she was in a park upstate New York, and she saw several uh, U- white UFOs flying in formation over when she was sitting out in the park. She was about 14, 15, and, you know, and she had me a couple of years later. But I was born doing that, U- the famous, famous UFO flack, July 13, 1952, my birthday. And that's okay. the weekend it happened over Washington, D.C., if you don't remember that part. Yes. Yep. So mm-hmm. it's very strange and that... Uh, you know, Dr. Mack uh, was at Harvard and uh, University, and that's when I, I really felt an affinity for him because they're all from that area, and that's where I got my help, actually, was from just around the corner from where I was born. You know, literally the building. I was born in Boston General Hospital. So anyway, it's very, very unusual. Now, uh, if you have a question for um, our guest tonight, 
send a call in now if you want to. 619-924-9744 is a call-in number. You can ask uh, questions and chat. Everybody's listening just so intently. I can just uh, feel the wheels <laughs> going in their brains. But, uh, and they can uh, ask me questions about anything if they want. I mean, you know, I, I do anything. know quite a bit about Area 51 because I have contacts inside Area 51. So if they have a question about Area 51 or... Or things along that line, so I'd be more than happy to answer what I can. Well, great. And uh, so, why don't you tell us about Area 51 then? Because I, I really have only seen it from a distance. Well, let me well, let me tell you what's what what transpired. Um, when I had my experience, okay. I started seeking out the UFO group. Um, I was writing Alien Deceptions, and I had a friend from the group put me in contact with somebody who he knew. Um, not personally, but knew, flew out of Nellis, was a was a pilot out of Nellis, but also did test test stuff out of Area 51. And for whatever reason, this person heard about me, wanted to get in contact with me. So I never met him personally, um, but I took and talked to him through email quite a bit. And he gave me a bunch of different things. Now, you have to understand that I'm, I'm a, and I don't like to use the word skeptic, but I, you know, my model for the show is simple: question everything, trust no one. And yeah. I, you know, was kind of looking in. He'd send me some stuff, and then I look into it, and sure enough, he was spot on. So, we were going back. He was giving me stuff, kind of for my book. You know, he's like, hey, maybe you throw this piece of information there, and you know, throw this piece of information. There. Like, oh, okay, great. You know, great, cool. You know, I was new to this, all excited because I had somebody, who's, you know, giving me information. Well, I was coming back at two o'clock in the morning um, from the UFO group, and you know, keep in mind my book was done at this point. I was just kind of editing, so I was throwing in certain bits and pieces that I was getting from this this contact. And he had told me about a week prior. He said, "Listen," he goes, "They might contact you to tell you to take some stuff out because they know I'm chatting with you." And I'm like. Okay, you know, whatever. Yeah, like, like, like they're gonna stop me. I'm like, it's a book of fiction, right? You know, I'm a nobody. I've never written a book before. Why? It's not even published yet. Two o'clock in the morning, coming down the 15. <clears throat> there's like nobody, and all of a sudden the lights come on, and I'm like, oh, am I speeding? I'm like, crap. I pull over, and black SUV behind me, black SUV in front of me. Uh-oh. The gentleman comes out. He's all dressed in a suit. Comes over. He goes, Miss Tina Marie. And I'm like, okay. You don't even have my ID, and you know who I am? This is not good. <laughs> and he's like, do you know why I'm pulling you over? And I'm like, I don't know, was I speeding? He goes, <laughs> "He goes, good answer, wrong one. <laughs> and he said to me, he's like, listen, he goes, you've been pretty busy with a lot of information in your book. And I'm like, how do you know about my book? Who, you know, who are you? He goes, never mind who I am. He goes, when you get home, there will be an email asking you to take certain things out of your book. And we kindly ask that you take stuff, those those things out. And I said, wait a minute, it's a book of fiction. Nobody's going to read it because it's not a you know it's it's not a real book. It's just it's you know I'm, I've thrown a bunch of different stuff in there. He goes, why do I have to take it out? He goes, we live in a reality world. We set it up this way. We like it this way. But people are going to read your book, and then people that do might look into certain things, and we don't want them to even look in, in that way. And I was like, well, listen, I was getting a little edgy, you know, it's 2 o'clock in the morning, and I didn't know who these people were, and I'm like, well, f- listen, I don't know who you are, and he looked right at me, he said, listen, this is Vegas, a lot of desert, 
accidents happen all the time out here. Oh my God. He goes, and I was, I started shaking. I was like, okay. Was it the men in black? Would you call them that? You know, I would, I I don't want to say it was them, but I get the impression that if it was, it, 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 because they didn't, they had, they had more of a feel that they were, you know, almost like NSA type guys. I mean, they just, you know, they just had that feel. I didn't get the feel that they were like this real secret, superative, you know, men in black type thing. But, you know, people said, well, maybe that was. And I'm like, well, maybe, maybe they were. I went home. There was an email. I saw what they wanted me to take out. So I just emailed my friend back, you know, that I was, I'm like, you never guess who stopped me and they want me to take this out. It bounced back as invalid. I went, okay. So I emailed it again. Well, this email came back as invalid. Now, the only thing I knew about this gentleman was that he flew, he was a pilot that flew out of Nellis, and, you know, that he flew also out of Area 51. And he was roughly around 35, 36 years old. Well, I read in the paper the next day, 36-year-old pilot dies of a heart attack while working out at Nellis Air Force Base. I, I freaked. I, I'm like, okay, because I didn't know who he, I didn't know his name. I'm like, okay, don't go down that road. Don't think, right. you know, I, I, I didn't, because I, you know, I have a kid and I, I just didn't want to put myself in that, oh crap type thing. And, yeah. you know, yeah. I'm not one of these ones that, you know, when I hear these people go, oh, there's black helicopters all the time around my house. They're not. There's not. Okay. You know, I, I had one helicopter around my house once in all the years. That's it. So I don't buy into all that crap. I try not to. Um, but the following day, my computer was hacked, and every single email from that guy was wiped, gone off my system. That kind wow. of That kind of freaked me out a little bit. Um, Maybe he wasn't supposed I, to be emailing you or contacting you like that. I, that's what I think. <laughs> yeah, that's what oh, okay. I don't think he should have, you know, been doing that. But he, you know, but um, it was probably about, you know, about two years after I published the book. I was working. I've been working on Project Deep Core, and I mm-hmm. have, you know, doing the show and all this stuff here. You have people that call you, and I'm sure you have the same thing that you know people call you. Oh, you know I'm a colonel, and I've this, and I have all this information. You're like, yeah, yeah, okay, whatever, sure you are. You know, <laughs> it's like you know, you don't know if you can trust certain people. So I had a gentleman contact me, um, said he had information because my book is called my second book is Project Decor, and it deals with some of the underground bases. He said he had information in regards to some underground bases and information for me. And I'm like, yeah, well, whatever. You know, he said, well, if you don't believe me, meet me. And I said, okay, well, if, we're, if I want to meet you, I'm meeting you at a public place. So I met him at this Dunkin' Donuts. And he, he good, seemed... That's a good spot. Yeah, he seemed very Generic. legit. Yeah, he just... A lot of information he was sending my way, and I was just... But I still didn't trust the guy. I was like, okay, you know, me, I, for all I know, he could have been a plant. I don't know. So he's giving me all the stuff. Didn't think anything of it. Driving into work to the radio station that night, and it's, you know, 7 o'clock, so it was still light out at the time. And all of a sudden, I look in my rearview mirror, and there's a black SUV, and I'm like, oh, crap. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, lights come on, one black SUV in back, one in front. And the gentleman came out, and, uh, you know, 
it was one of those days where I had had too much caffeine, and I was just ready for a confrontation. <laughs> and I opened my mouth, and I probably probably shouldn't because I said, "Oh, you had a good conversation today." I'm like, well, "I have many conversations," you know, and I was just being a real smart ass. And he was not. He's like, "Listen," he goes. You know, I can t- arrest you right now and make you disappear for a week. And I'm like, no, you can't. He goes, yeah, I can. He goes, you don't know who I am. And I said, well, tell me who you are. I says, you don't need to know. He says, your security is not that high. And he looked at me, and I'm like, well, I don't have any. I'm like, well, I don't actually have any security clearance. He goes, well, he says, you met with somebody that did today. I'm like, what are you talking about? I said, I didn't meet with anybody. He says, you got a lot of good information today. What are you going to do with it? And I and I'm like I don't understand what try to just I know what he was talking about but I was trying to deny it. And then he yeah. said, "Does this ring yeah. a, does this ring a bell?" And he had a picture of me sitting at Dunkin' Donuts with this guy. Oh my God! And I went crap. Were you shocked? I was like crap, busted, you know. And I'm like, I said, "What are you guys following me?" He goes, "No, we're following him." He goes, "But now we're following you." what are you going to do with that information? And I said, well, he goes, I don't know. He goes, I'm going to reiterate this again. He goes, accidents happen all the time and not just to you. Oh, no. And he said, you be very careful with that information you have and what you do with it. He said, he goes, he goes, and he goes, and I just, I really, really, got really nervous at that point. Uh, I remember driving. He just he just sat there and he just looked at me. They went in the car and I'm like, can I leave? He goes in a minute. And they just, it's like, I'm running. I'm like, crap, I'm going to be late for work. And they just sat in their car for like 20 minutes. And I'm like, well, what are they doing? They, you know, what's going on? I mean, I'm just, and I think they did it intentionally just to make me think. <laughs> like, I mean, for 20 minutes I'm thinking, oh my God, I'm going to get a bullet to the head with that. Yeah, I'll let <laughs> like you think for a minute. Like, yeah. You know, I was freaking out. And then he just came back and he said, listen, he goes, I don't want to have to talk to you again or pull you over again. He says, but just know that there's not anything you will ever do in the future that we won't know about. So I joke with people now. I'm like, you know, I know I know my, you know, my emails. I, I know everything's monitored. When I've taken people out to Area 51, um, even if it's just taken in the back, as soon as we get over Tikaboo Point, we come down to Rachel, I tell them, I'm like, Assume every phone call, everything you're doing is being monitored because you're with me. Yeah. And even when I took Joey Essex and his film crew out, they were freaking out because we kept seven times we had the um, <laughs> we had the security, the camo dudes literally come within feet of where we were standing, park their truck with tinted windows and just rev their engines and just I'm like, and the film crew was freaking out. And I just told them like, listen, we're on public land. They're not going to do anything. I, I says, but you know, I says just. They're just here to intimidate you. That's all they're going to do. I said, however, he goes, careful what you do, because remember, if something does happen out here, it's your word against theirs. <laughs> and, yeah. you know, these guys are you know, these guys are trained, you know, trained SEALs. <laughs> they want to make you go away, they will, <laughs> you know. Yeah. But um, Area 51 has a lot of cool stuff going on. It, it, it does, and uh, there's, uh, is it, okay, there's also an Air Force base, uh, really high. If you look up in Northern California and then to the right, mm-hmm. there's an Air Force base up there. Do you know which one that is? Oh God, 
in California, the one of the Northern it's California. Not it's not in California. It would be right next to California, but the top of California. If you're looking at a map, top of California, it's over there. Um, I'm drawing there's a blank stuff on that going thing. on up there. There's a stuff going on up there that I'm really aware of. Uh, well, I don't know if I want to say psychically or something like that, but there's a lot of stuff going on. There's a lot of woods. There's a lot of places to hide stuff. But and then there's an air force base to the right. You're looking at the map, the next state over, but it's at the top of California. But anyway, um, that's do you believe that's the one in Utah? That's not Lake Dugway. Could be. I don't know. Could be. Because Dugway, uh, Dugway, and Utah. Could be. Do you believe that there's hidden bases all over the place? For uh, let's say uh, the the ETs and us maybe working on things together, or we have a lot of bases that are in secret. Yeah, I mean, even even out at um, Area 51, I mean, you have Area 51, and you have you have to understand that everything out there is departmentalized. So when when you have people from Area 51 come out and say, "Well, there's nothing. We never worked on this and this and this," well. Those people that work at Area 51, you have Area 51, you have S4, um, and you have S2. S2 is relatively new. S2 is more being run by most of the the, the aliens, um, combination of the Graves and the Tall Whites. And, you know, we don't have as much access there. Where the S4 facility is kind of where we back-engineer a lot of the technology, and then that technology is basically brought to Area 51, so to speak, but not all of it parts of it. Um, so people who work at Area 51 who come out and say, well, you know, we worked on, you know, we worked on this, you know, this craft or we worked on this craft, but, you know, it's just our craft, you know, it's, it's the it's the, the, the F-117 and it's the stealth and it's the B, B-2 spirit and all that kind of stuff. Well, yeah, that's what they worked on, they, but they didn't have access to the S-4 or the S-2 facility. And that's true with a lot of things that take place out there. And I think there's a there's a few other bases. There's many bases um, that connect with underground tunnel system that we don't know about. Now, like with right, what people don't understand, like with um, Area 51 right now, it was originally set up in in the 50s by the by the Air Force. Um, sorry, by by the NSA. And then the NSA and the Air Force. Combined, the Air Force took it over uh, late 70s when they started working with the, the stealth technology. But just recently, last summer, the NSA and the CIA have recently taken it back over. Um, it used to be called the Nevada Test Site. It's now called the Nevada Security Site. And a lot of the people who are working there have now since moved back to Wright-Patterson, and a lot of them have moved back to um, have moved up to the Dugway Training Grounds um, because it's now being controlled by the NSA. Everything that's in there right now has gone black. In other words, it's off the books, um, completely mm. off the books. And Rachel used to have about 98 people living in it. I think it's down to about 60 or 70 right now because some of the personnel have been moved. Um, and most of the people now, if you, if you come into Vegas, you will see many Janet flights coming and going Seven seven fifteen every morning. Go down to McCarran Airport. You'll see at least two Janet flights coming and getting ready to leave. Yeah, because I know they don't live there. They, because um, in my experiences, they um, they're actually uh, following following in. Oh, oh darn it! She she was just dropped the call right back into the show because we're live and. Uh, I have a few more questions. So, Marie, call back into the show, please, or I can call her. 
Let me try it on my magic phone. Let me see. don't know why she was dropped, so let's just see if she'll call me. She realized that she is. Talking about... Hello, you're live. Talking to... All right. Yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> Go ahead. Hey, Cheryl. <laughs> you did good. Go ahead. Yeah, this, so we were this talking. is Tina. Yeah, where, where was I? I know, I'm trying to, we're actually, we actually are uh, the underground, you were talking about the underground, uh, that's when we start uh, having strange things happen on the show, so anyway, yeah, uh, that's you when we talked about I the underground you, thing, talking about and, yeah, then <laughs> talking we got, about I just started getting slightly worried, okay, so let's go to the ETs, now how many, uh, I'm, I'm curious because uh, I've been taken there and I knew that people aren't actually mostly living there, but that's what we're talking about, because I had the dreams of white airplanes and buses taking me in and out of that place, and it's underground and all that, so I stopped having those kind of dreams, and now it's other stuff coming to me, and I have another house and another reality somewhere, but anyway, uh, that my best friend seen with me, so that's peculiar that we're seeing the same place, but... Um, wow. So you think they're basically benevolent beings, that they're interested in our future, that they, they're coming to help, or some, I have a friend that believes they're coming here to, to uh, enslave us, or interbreed with us, and then take us over. Um, there, there, is, there is a combination of both. Just like we have good and bad on this planet, um, there is good and bad out there. So I think there's some that are here, monitoring, watching, kind of looking out for us, sort of like you know our UN does to certain smaller countries. And I also think there is some that are here for really notorious purposes. I also think that there's some that are working with our government that you know signed treaties. I mean, if you go back to 1954 and the the idea that you know Eisenhower signed a treaty with the Graves in exchange to be able to you know abduct X number of people, and then the Graves started breaking that treaty, and what what are we going to do? We you know we didn't have the, at that right. point the technology to say hey get the hell out of here. You know they just kept breaking the rules and we couldn't do anything. And that's one of the reasons why. I think our government started their, um, you know, my lab type program where they were going in and abducting people who were just abducted to find out what just happened, you know, what to find out exactly what was going on. Um, so I think there's some, you know, there's some people that were the doom and gloom, um, and I think there's some people that have had, you know, positive experiences. And and I, you mm-hmm. can't, I, I don't think you can say it's just this or it's just this. And I think it's the same with some people have had positive reptilian experiences, some have had negative. I think the same with the gray. Some have had positive, some have had some kind of, you know, negative. Um, and when you look at that, when 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 people, to me, when I talk to a contactee and they seem to have all the answers and they said, well, you know what, this is how it is, you're wrong, then to me, you know what, you didn't have an experience. And I hate to say that, but... If you have all the answers, then you actually have none. <laughs> because well, most contactees that I've talked to are still looking for answers. Oh well, yeah, because it's so uh, it's it's such a uh, blow and change to your life. It's like you had one life before, so before and after. Then you have one life after. Once this okay. enters your experience, you are different, and you're a different uh, person. Um, and then, you know, it's hard to uh, 
I don't even know how to put this into words. Like you have um, two different realities going on. If you have a professional life, you know, they don't want to hear about UFOs and all that. But if it's part of your life, you know, it'll right. it's bound to come up sooner or later or weird experiences will happen around uh, uh, other people that isn't, I, I know it's all probably meant to be, but you won't you won't want it to happen. But it does happen, you know. Right. So uh, so people are observing. And even, okay, even so people have had positive experiences. I mean, exactly. I, you know, I've talked exactly. to many who have had positive who wouldn't wish this on anybody. And people say, yeah, but if it was such a positive, why wouldn't you wish on it? Because it's like, you know, it's like having unfinished business. You don't have, you know, until. The people, the the beings that took me, show up on the front of the White House lawn, and they're sitting down with a, a one-on-one with the President of the United States, and it's on every news station. To me, right. it's not real. It's it's there's no, yeah. you know, yeah. I can tell my story and I can say this is what happened to me, and I'm convi- con- convinced and I'm convicted with the, the thought that we are being visited. And there's many different species out here, but until something like that happens, till until. You know, you have verification, and this is kind of why I got into ufology because I wanted, I want concrete evidence. And I pulled out of these UFO groups because people would get upset because they, they post a video and I'd comment and say, well, that's CGI. I mean, I have a degree in communication television. I, you know, I'm a whiz at Photoshop. I'm like, this is yeah. fake. This is how you can tell certain things. Or you know what? Go to this link here. Here, the person that created this video. It's the same person that created this video that showed how he faked it, <laughs> you know? And people don't want yeah. to see that. They want to believe what they want to believe, which is fine, and I'm all for that. I mean, because I expect people to believe my story, so in a, in a way, you've got to have that open mind mentality. But what happens is you, you get into a situation where you want so hard, concrete evidence so you can walk around to everybody and say, see, I'm not crazy, and you get so passionate. I mean, you know how it is. You have your show. You you get passionate. You want so much mm-hmm. to be able to be vindicated and, and, and show that, you know what? See, this did happen to me. Um, but at the same time, you've got people in the ufology community that, well, you know what? This abduction phenomenon is just a phenomenon. It's just people who are, you know, there's no real proof. You know, or you have people who say, well, you know, there's no way UFOs can be visited here because, you know, the technology and the... Well, you know what? If they're a thousand years more advanced than we are, you know, think where we're going to be in a thousand years. Our technology is will be able to do that most likely by then. Look where we've been in the last forty years. So, um, exactly. it's very hard in this field when you deal with you know negativity from within the field. But when you have people who you know have had positive and negative experiences, and there's this infighting, like, well, they're all negative, you know, reptilian experiences. Not necessarily. I mean, well, that's because you had a positive experience because they they want you to put, they're putting that thought in your brain, and they always come up with these angles, and and I think what's happened lately over the, over the course of the last probably five years is because of the blow-up of the internet, UFO is the third most searched term on the internet. So what you have is a lot of people who want to make money whether it's through YouTube, through their you know blogs, whatever, so they're they're writing or doing something. They they come up with a story. They're linking something with ufology because they're trying to you know they're trying to get money. Whether it's through Google Ads or whatever, they're drawing traffic in order to create hits, in order to create 
a, a revenue source. And I think certain people, there are certain people in this field that are well-known that change their points of views in order to stay relevant. Um, and oh, they, boy, I'm me, worried they about will, that. Yeah, they, they elaborate or make things bigger. So well, that's why I'm you're going to have to keep your show. I'm trying to have integrity here, but, you know, uh, some of my stuff is so odd, you know, like I went to uh, the dentist, Mm, this mm-hmm. just happened three weeks ago. And uh, I don't know if you have hypersensitivity to, let's say, electricity or electromagnetic fields or stuff like that. Um, yes. Do you? Okay, so I have a I two. Can't, if yeah, I, if I try to wear a watch, my the batteries will die on my watch if I wear anything with a watch. Yeah, I can never wear uh, – I'm surprised that I can even do this show, but I can never wear a watch or anything, but – I didn't know that it went this far. That my I had like a panic thing with getting my teeth done. But anyway, uh, and they don't put you to sleep where I go get my teeth done. <laughs> so my daughter's sitting behind me, and uh, anyway, he's handing me the. You know how they put the film, the X-ray film, on a holder, and they put yep, the film. They say, okay, hold this, hold this, and then they walk away, and take a picture, come back. So. This poor guy was doing it, then he put the picture up on the x-ray screen, and the doctor would look at it and went, can you do this again? I don't know what you're showing me. And then he did it again. So then the third time, I kind of looked at my hand holding that holder that's holding the film. And I looked yeah. at him, and you know he has his mask on, not the doctor, but the helper guy, who I always call for yeah. him because he's kind of a big, strong a uh, very, very stable person, so I really loved him to help me with this. So I looked at him, I said, can I tell you something? And he went, yes. And he's really young. And, uh, you know, it can't be any more than like late 20s or maybe 30, I don't know, at the most. But anyway, I said, I have electrical problem, and that could be part of what's happening here. And I'm not sure of it. So I was just looking at my hand, and then I looked at me holding the, the metal... Uh, tong that's holding the film, you know, slide. That's what it is. And uh, he looked at me, and he took it away from me, and walked, he walked away. He came back with a plastic one. I couldn't, I couldn't believe he believed me anyway. And then he handed it <laughs> to me and told me to do the same thing, and of course they were turning out. And then when they turned down, the doctor, <laughs> the doctor was looking at the film, and I said, why did you believe me? I said, I don't know, I just didn't do and then I told my daughter, I'm having a little electrical problem. And she says, I know, Ma, I always have. Like, I've heard this all my life. And I was like, no big deal. But to me, to get that confirmation was incredible. But I didn't know I would be blowing out x-rays. That's a new one. <laughs> Isn't you know, it weird? weird. I've, I've, well, you know, I've had people... This stuff's going to wear off. That's what I think. I think this is going to wear off to me. My yeah. notions of UFOs, my superpowers. I just thought <laughs> this is all going to wear off, but... It seems like it's getting more and more intense, and it's leaking out into the public. Anyway, I you know I think it depends on on and on who you're around and, and different experiences. And sometimes I personally think when when stuff like that happens, it's kind of my thing. Is I you know I've had if you want to call it synchronicity or little things that happen, and and to this day I, I honestly think that you know. The elder and Amy, well, they're not going to take me up to their ship every every day or you know once a week. So sometimes I think things happen because when I was you know it was about the you know the, the third time that I had been taken up there, I still was going. I started going to these UFO support groups, and I wasn't I wasn't sure. I still needed you know listening to these people's stories, and I'm thinking I don't know if I belong here because I thought everybody there was nuts. <laughs> you know, I hate to yeah. say it, but I thought they yeah. were nuts. 
until this girl who was somewhat psychic, she reads auras and is kind of psychic, they came to me and they said, Tina, do you want to share with the group? And I'm like, uh, no. <laughs> and she looked right at me and she said, she looked at me and she said, Tina, she goes, it's okay. Your, your guide said it's okay for you to share. And I'm like, what guides? She goes, the ones that are standing right behind you. You know, and I looked to my mm-hmm. left, looked at them, there's nobody standing behind me. And she proceeded mm-hmm. to describe both Amy and the elder, and she even mentioned the elder by name. And oh I my never God. shared my story with anybody. I, I got up. <laughs> I was like, I, I kind of waited like 15 minutes. We took a break. I got up. I left. I was so freaked out. The 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 girl who runs the group calls me, and she's like, Tina, Tina, you know, Tina, you okay? And I'm like, all right, I'm just kind of having a mental meltdown right now. <laughs> And in the following group, I came and I started sharing my story at that point. Um, and the more I talked about it, the more, and I'm sure you've seen this, the more you talk about it, and that's why I've always said, if you've had an experience, you know, whether it's negative or positive, try to seek out a, a good group, a good support group. Seek out people who have had experiences that will listen to you. I have had, I've had times where I've talked a couple hours with people I've never even met who had heard my show, heard my experiences, and, and said, Tina, do you mind if I call you? And I'm like, yeah, sure, and we'll talk about you know their experience. And sometimes to to just talk to somebody, to get that verification from somebody that, you know what, you're not crazy, you know, we, we've had experiences. The more I think people who have had experiences share and, and voice their opinion, the more details are going to come out, because... I honestly think that you know you sit there and I've said myself when I when I writing writing the book now and even doing my show, I say you know what I don't even care if you know one person is listening to my show. If that one person I touch them somehow, if something resonates with them, then to me I've done my job. And That's right. we all have to take small steps. And you know you see it, you've got a very successful show, and you Thank know, just you. The, the people that well, will we have touch to persevere even uh even. Okay, because, you know, I don't know if this happens to you. Once in a while, I went, screw this UFO stuff. Like, they didn't abduct <laughs> me. I, I'm not talking to you guys anymore. You know what I mean? But it's also <laughs> saying no to part of your, like, your arm. You know what I mean? But I do yeah. want to say that once in a while. Like, since when did I have to do this? Like, why? But then again, you know, would you, okay, do you feel like it's giving you more than taking from you? Oh, wow, that's a that is a very good question. Um I think just like you said that there are days when I sit back and I am just so touched by the people I've been able to make contact with where I am having my show. All this stuff is just surreal at times. But then there's times when you sit there and you go, "Okay, you know what?" Sometimes, because I'm trying to be very positive, sometimes you get you have days where, and I'm sure you have it, whether it's on Facebook yeah. or in groups where where people personally attack you for just the stupidest things. Yeah. And you you just say to yourself, Why am I doing this? Why am I even putting myself out there? Why? 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 I don't need this. Yeah. Like why? You know? Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, there are days. You know, I would say I've I've gotten more from it, and I think more of it is because I've I've contacted people like yourself and a lot of my guests that I've had on the show, and and and, and read these books and, and be able to talk to so many different contactees worldwide who've had experiences. And I think for me that I think that's why I really want to finish my book because I really want to get it out there 
Because if somebody reads it, there might be somebody else somewhere in the world that's going to read that and go, oh my God, that picture of the elder, that's the guy who I've talked to. You know, you just don't know. And I think it's for contactees, it's very tough because, you know, you have to say to yourself, I mean, I've lost family members. There are family members that will not talk to me because they think I'm crazy. They, they think I should be locked up. They, they, should, they think I should have my son taken away from me. So when you, when you look at that and you go, do I want to put myself out there? Do I want to tell my story? As much as I want to tell my story, am I ready for it? And I've had people talk to me about, you know, well, you don't, if your details aren't clear, maybe, maybe you should do some regression. And I said, and I told people, I said, I won't do regression. And they said, well, why not? I said, simply because there's a lot of people, I've listened to certain regressions, and a lot of times people tend to lead people. And I don't want that. But one of the things I've also, I'm a firm believer, and I've talked to people who have had regressions, and one of the things they've said to me is, if you are going to do regressions, you have to make sure you are ready for the ramifications of the floodgates that are going to open. Because there are people who have had really bad experiences, and they're bad. But then they go in regressions, and they realize really how bad they are. And once you open those memories, you can't put them back in the box. And you have to ask yourself, do I want to open Pandora's box? Am I ready to take that step? Am I strong enough? And I think these people, these aliens, these these beings, whether they're malevolent or not, I think they... They they open up and they give us the memories to what they think we can handle. And I think as people grow and get into this field, more memories come back because they're able to handle things more. It's it's like baby steps. If they gave you all the stuff at once, I don't think mentally, I think our heads would explode or, or, or we would be drooling on ourselves with a Thorazine drip somewhere in, you know, with a straitjacket on. So. Yes, it's... You know, I think that what we do is we'll we'll persevere and just keep doing with uh, what we're supposed to be doing, you know, which is not what we don't know until the minute we're doing it, it seems like to me. All of a sudden, you step into it and then you start going that path. It's just a a difficult, uh, but to me, uh, I'm not sure I would say want it to go away. You know, sometimes I do, and then other times... When I felt like it was going super quiet for a while, you know, just it wasn't that long, maybe two, three months of, of real quietness, I kind of felt like I was being rejected. Am I one of the rejects now? <laughs> <laughs> I well, you know, I'm a firm believer in... I'm a firm believer in synchronicity, and I'm a firm believer that, you know, I've had times where, you know, like I said, I just want to throw this thing up and say, you know, I'm done. I'm done with this. I just, you know, don't call me. Don't. I don't want to deal with it. I don't want to read another UFO book. And then something will happen. Yeah. Maybe something. It was like, like for example, it was um, the whole thing with my show, my show being off the air for the last few weeks. And, you know, Mm -hmm. it's just killing killing me because... I love what I do, and it's like to, to, to actually have to go to the studio because I, I, you know, I work from midnight to seven in the morning tonight, and to go to the studio mm-hmm. and sit there and know from twelve to two I normally do my show, and I've got to just play a best of something, just drives me crazy. I'm like, I want to get on my, but I can't. So you sit there and you just so like a few weeks ago, you know, the first show I didn't do, and I just said, you know what, screw, screw the station, screw this, I'm done. I'm not going to do any more shows. I'm done with it. Um, you know, I don't care. And I'm driving home that morning, and 
unbelievable. There's a truck in front of me that had a license plate that said UFO one on it. <laughs> it's true. Just as I was having that thought, and I just said to yep. myself, you, you know what? This is a sign. <laughs> this is a sign. It is a sign. And, you know, so I just we said, you need know what? you. Specifically, <laughs> you. you. They need you, and we need you. You're wanted on uh, two different parallel universes, so uh, <laughs> you have to keep doing this because it's. Uh, it, what can we say? You know, it's the most, to me, the most interesting, intriguing question of our our centuries of life that we have is where do we come from? Where are we going? You know, who are these other entities? Is there another world going on parallel to ours? These things are fantastic things to think about and live in and know, especially there are some that have seen this other stuff go on, you know, and what do we do with the witnesses? Right. Yeah, I mean, there's many that buy into the, the whole multidimensional theory um, where basically, simul- you know, simultaneously you've got um, multiple U's, multiple universes going on, and literally right where we are. So, you know, um, you could have 13 points taking up the same space and time where you are just in a, you know, like I said, a different you. I mean, um, and I think that's what's happened with ufology right now. I think some of the old-time people in ufology are shifting gears. They're now, because we haven't had a major UFO event you know, since like the Phoenix Lights, I mean, you know, you got Roswell and stuff, but we really haven't anything major over the last, you know, few years that people can look back and it's like, oh, you know, 20 years from now, people are going to look back and go, it's the next Roswell. We haven't had anything like yeah. that. Um, I think we've had a lot of people who've had experiences, and I think we're going to look back at this time and, it, and this will be the, the time of the experiencers. I think more and more experiencers now, because of the time we live in, because they understand they're not, there's that, not that, that, social stigma people don't point the finger and go, Well that's the crazy UFO girl now that lives down the street. You know, I mean, they they don't have that anymore. So I think more and more people are feeling more comfortable of coming forward. Um and I think what's gonna happen is more people come forward that puts pressure on the governments and I think that's why you've seen over the last probably six months to a year, you're seeing articles all the time talking about Yeah, there, I just can't hear you right now. Okay, Tina, you're dropped, so come back to say goodbye because uh, that's the second time it happened. And Anyway, Tina has uh, been our profound uh, guest tonight, and she's amazing, and I wanted to find out what her project... Uh, Tina, we'll have you come back, and what, what's your project that you're working on next? I mean, what where can people contact you, and uh, what's your project you're working on next? Okay, they can get a hold of me um, at uh, restrictedairspaceradio.com. I've got a brand new website that'll be coming up um, pretty soon. But they can, my new project is kcurradio.com, and KCUR has a combination of everything from uh, paranormal shows to club music, EDMs. I do a, I host a, a four-hour club show as well. Um, my show is going to be broadcasting on there, and if if people have a, a podcast or if they have a show and they would like to get it, you know, uh, rebroadcast on my show, I'm not charging right now until we get things up. And even when we get up, I'm going to do things a little different. There's a lot of people charge big bucks for certain shows and certain stations, and I don't agree with that. I think there's yeah, ways you can monetize and, and 
get the voice out because I think a lot of people have great, great shows, but they may not necessarily get the exposure that they could possibly get. And I think if you have right. a central location um, where it's not going to charge them an arm and a leg to be on for bandwidth, then, then you try to do that. That's right. I think that would be good and for all of us. And just think, you know, what we're doing now and why people are prompted to go out and do this. Now, when I was a kid, you know, we had ham radio operators and everybody was still wanting to do the radio, you know, even if it was truck to truck or, you know, just having ham radio in your house and everything else. And just think of the technology, how far it's gone. And basically, if you're just interested in sports, you can get on and start a sports show or 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 a comedy show, or a Hollywood show, and I'm into the paranormal, so I do a paranormal show. You know, I think it's a, a wonderful creative expression, and we're still talking, we're still getting the information out there that would actually, you know, you would actually just go have to go back to get the book. But I love books, so I really do appreciate having a book in my hand, believe me. You know, so yeah, that's why I want to encourage you to please do that, because <laughs> we really, our book readers here, we love we love books, right. so... You know. Well, you know, the the whole internet has changed the way broadcasting is done, and I think terrestrial radio, it it's kind of gone the wayside because they don't understand that. And I think with technology today, with people being able to have their own studios in their house um, and the technology oh, yeah. that's available to them, they can now, with good quality, go global um, and have a global audience if if they do it right. And they don't necessarily need terrestrial radio anymore. The whole, you know, when you were growing up, it's like, oh, I want to be on terrestrial radio. You know, I want to be on, you know, AM station or mm-hmm. FM station or whatever. Well, now it's like, you know what? Eh, you don't necessarily need to do that now because you can broadcast out of your own home. I said, I've, I've got a whole studio I'm creating right now to do everything out of my own home. And when you can broadcast out of your home worldwide, that's nice. Yeah, because, you know, we're really, I feel like, uh, you know, sometimes people uh, are isolated from other countries, and uh, that's why I'm so glad when the first person started writing to me in different, these people started writing to me in different languages. And finally, one guy was speaking in Spanish. Yeah, some guy was speaking Spanish, and I finally went to the Spanish decoder because I understand some of what he's saying. So finally I yeah. said, you know, in Spanish to him, how are you listening to me? And he said, you have a big following down here in South America. I said, I do. He said, what do you say? He said, because everything's translated. I went, oh, my God, of course. Yes. And that's when I yes. found out. So I've got my Finland people and everyone's you know, all over the place. It's just, I, I love it, you know. And uh, I have, anyway, my show, get, I love my show was getting downloaded in about 100, 115 different countries. I love it. That's great. That you know, it's, me, that's freaked me out. <laughs> it's scary when you start thinking of the because there is a certain responsibility, you know, uh, to me. I think that you have to be there somewhere on time. You have to do this. You have to, you know, you just don't skip out on something just because you feel like it. That's right. We only got like ninety seconds left. Um, do you want to give a shout out for your new, new show again? Yeah, sure. It's uh, Restricted Airspace. It was on KDWN 720 AM. We're hoping it's going to get back to Friday nights at midnight. However, you can go over to RestrictedAirspaceRadio.com, and uh, you can all the archives for all the shows, all my guests are out there. You can listen to those free on KCUR Radio, and you can watch for upcoming shows. Um, hopefully sometime, if I don't get back on KDON, um, sometime in May we will be broadcasting at least uh, one, maybe if not three times a week on KCUR Radio. 
Awesome. Thank you so much for being our guest tonight. You know, we really appreciate you, and you're just fascinating, and uh, we'd love for you to come on again. And you take care, and uh, thanks for everything. Have a good evening. Anytime. Thank you so much, Ar. You're welcome. Take care. Okay, bye-bye. All right, bye-bye. So, everybody, this has been awesome. Remember, next Friday, Jacqueline Thomas, you know, savvy Jackie that knows everything about everything. She's in Hollywood. She's on. She has her finger on the pulse of what's going on everywhere. She's an uh, experiencer. Has a. She's a reincarnating uh, Egyptian princess. I mean, this this girl travels the world, and she's the real deal. So we're going to be talking about everything that has to do with everything and the paranormal. We'll see you next week. I want to thank everybody in chat. I would like to thank our friends that are listening from their phones. I really appreciate you hanging in there this whole time and love you and appreciate you. And I wish everybody all the best. And just don't, never give up. One thing, there's also there's many groups you can look in your area. Uh, you can also go and call uh, the group that I go to, Yvonne Smith. You can find her at www.cerointernational.com. And she will give you the help you need and get you give you the guidance to go to meetings in your area. And she also does past life regressions and uh, she does teleconferencing and stuff like that. So you're not alone no matter where you are. You're not isolated. Okay? So I wish you all the best and uh, just hang in there and I'll uh, see you next week. Bye-bye. Take care.